Amen. We're so excited that you're here with us. Uh, the weather is quite interesting. And uh, I'm very proud of you that you came to church in a weather like this. I think somehow the heavens knew that I'm going to be preaching this sermon today. My title is The Determination to Be a Finisher. <laughs> I think some people did well all year round until the weather showed up today and they didn't come to church and didn't finish so well. But anyhow, I want to talk about that because finishing is an important thing. We've come to the end of the year. Many of us will be setting up goals and targets for next year. But I think if we were to look at ourselves, we, there are maybe one or two things we may want to adjust. Maybe we didn't really hit our targets as we wanted to. In John chapter 4, verse 34, from the New King James Version, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was very committed to finishing the work that God had given him to do. Paul himself in Acts chapter 20, this is at the end of his ministry, almost at the end of his life. He says there in verse 22, he says, And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will befall me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Verse 24. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And finish the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I know when I go to Jerusalem, I know there's tests that await me. I know there's difficulties, there's persecution. I know my life is going to be at stake. But in spite of all of that, I'm still going there because I want to finish. Tell your neighbor, I want to finish. Paul says, I want to finish. So, I mean, outside of today, two more days to go, before the year end, and I guess most of us, consciously or unconsciously, at this time of the year, we evaluate how effectively we used our time, how effectively we used our effort, our money, and so on in that year. One thing is true, that every one of us would really love to finish the year on a high note. But the truth is, that doesn't happen all the time. Because finishing well and Finishing what we ought to do is not something that just lands on our lap. A few years ago, I was doing a Bible study through the book of Kings. You know, the book of Kings chronicles the lives and the feats of the different kings in Israel. I was really struck by the way their narrative was written. How it looked like the emphasis put on their lives was, talks about how they started their journey but most of all, how they finished. And when it talks about their finish, it seems like the Bible went into graphic details to describe how they finished. And it, it occurred to me that it looks like the scriptures seem to place more emphasis on us finishing our assignments, as was in the case of the kings. 
So finishing is a habit that all of us must cultivate. Because at times, we may have the habit of starting projects and not finishing them. Allow me for now, Bazalana, to talk to us as people in our country, in our nation. I think one of the things that truly is affecting us very negatively is the unfinished projects. We're hearing in the many reports that we read about, even in the commissions that we are listening to now, how lots of money was alienated, put aside for projects that were supposed to start and they never ever even got started, some of them. Or if they did start, they were not finished. Or if they were finished, it was poor quality. So the issue of finishing is a very important thing and we have to work very hard as South Africans to take that culture out of us. Yeah, thank you for that one amen, my brother. I appreciate it. They don't like what I'm saying, but you know I'm a preacher. I'm going to preach. We need to make sure that we become finishers. Think about all the things that we set out to do early this year. All our New Year resolutions. Gym programs, diet programs. Yeah, now you're coming alive. Enrollment in studies, spiritual disciplines. Lobola. I don't know how many of you have read a book by the name of a man called Stephen Farah. Writes about ministry and he says in his young days as a young minister in his 20s, he was talking to an elderly minister and as this elderly minister, as a young minister, what is the one advice that you can give me that will help me to finish well? You know? And Stephen Farah said, the one thing I can advise you is that make sure that you get committed to finishing. And he said, why? Then he gave him a statistic that he didn't believe. He said, well, it's been my observation in ministry that one out of ten, I didn't get it right in the first service, but I'm correcting it now. See, I'm, I'm, I'm self-correcting, comrades. I'm self-correcting. One out of ten who start in full-time service to the Lord at 21 are still on track by the age of 65. said, I couldn't believe it. That just one out of 10 who start out in ministry in their 20s are still doing well in their 60s and they're still on track. He said, I didn't believe what he said, but because he's an elderly man, I took what he said, but I wrote down the names of all the people I knew who were in ministry with me. said, when I turned 60, I went back to that same thing I had written in one of my Bibles and I found out that it's one out of 10. I can reliably tell you that when I went to Bible school in 19, I went to several Bible colleges. I studied from in the 80s, 81, 83, I studied some more after that. But I remember in particular the one class I was in in 1981, there were about 250 of us in class. Everyone said God had called them. Everyone had a vision. Everyone wrote down what they wanted to do with their lives. And everybody said God spoke to them. And it's been quite a disturbing thing as we followed up with each other. And I can reliably tell you, of the 250 of us, there's hardly 20 of us who are in full-time ministry today. Oh, yeah. So the issue around finishing is a serious issue. So we need to be resolute in our hearts that whatever task we engage in, we will finish. Tell your neighbor, you need to be a finisher. Now, 
when you read the Bible, it's interesting. There are different ways of finishing. There are different ways that people finish, but you know, they didn't finish in the same way. Number one, there are those who didn't finish at all. Oh, they were cut off early. People like Samson. Samson starts out as a very strong and anointed person used mightily by God. But he doesn't finish well. Which says to us that the fact that we have the power of God on our lives is no guarantee that we will finish well. It means that even if God's hand is upon our lives, there are certain disciplines that we must cultivate ourselves to make sure that what God wants to do through our lives gets completed. Secondly, there are those who finished poorly. Saul is an example of that. It's amazing how when the Bible talks about Saul, he was God's choice. Not only that, I mean, the brother was fine. Hey. I mean, they said he stood head and shoulders about, above everybody. I'm sure he had his muscles. I'm sure he, his biceps and, 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 and triceps, he was a guy to look at. He was a hunk of a guy. Probably he had a deep voice. Who knows? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> He's the same person when the prophet met him, told him about his call. He said to Saul, and the spirit of the Most High will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them. And you will be turned into another man. And yet when you read his life, he finished poorly. So it means even if God's hand is upon us, and prophecies have been spoken up upon us, those of us who like prophecies, it's no guarantee that things will turn out that way if you do not develop the habit of finishing well. Thirdly, there are those who finished so-so. I don't know any other word to use but to say so-so. Look at Galatians chapter 3. These are the Christians in Galatia. Paul is talking to them. He's not glad about them. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He said that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified among you. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You can read the rest of that chapter. Paul's argument is that when you started out in your faith, we taught you the fundamentals of your faith. We taught you what you must believe. We gave you the correct doctrine. But in the process, you've mixed in other things in that doctrine. You've moved away from the fundamentals that you've given you. Now you are drinking petrol and eating grass and eating snakes. Chineke, what's wrong with you? And it does happen that we start out well in the things of God, but in the process, we put in other things. Look at somebody say, we don't want Ntswaki. We don't want to put in other things in there. Yeah. And that can easily happen to us that we may start well in the things of God, but then we throw in other things. Paul says, you know, it's sort of interesting when he talks about himself in the book of Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. Watch. I have finished my cause. Number two, I've kept the faith. So in other words, it's possible to fight the fight, finish your cause, but not keep certain things. So you finish, but the state in which you are is not the way you started. There are things that you've lost. You can lose your integrity. You can lose your sense of honesty. You can lose your prayerfulness. You can lose your commitment to God. You can lose your innocence. 
You know, I mean, we had a funeral yesterday of one of the, I tell you, our country is, is rich in, in women and men who are incredible people, used by God amazingly. And we had a funeral of, of, of one of the people here yesterday who came to be buried here. She was in the U.S., came back, but she's been from home here and uh, did so well. And in attendance were a lot of people from a broad scope of politicians, business people, ministers, and, you know, it's that age group, uh, senior people, who started in the struggle together. These are people who remember their beginning days in high school and in university. These are people who've gone a long way. And, 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 and several of the speakers were bemoaning the fact that when they started out in the struggle, you know, they started out with a certain mission and a certain vision. Uh, Dr. Frank Chicani, when he stood up to speak, he gave a eulogy that was so moving and, and talking about the, the one who had passed on, Kimisa uh, Osman Kekulo, who is a doctor, you know, and said about her, in spite of everything she's gone through and gotten involved in the struggle, in everything, uh, the gospel was the differentiating factor. That she went into this and didn't allow herself to get corrupted. Didn't allow herself to give in to certain things. But, you know, we can start out well, but in the process have things that come our way. We need to finish well. Can I hear an amen in the house? Amen. Paul says, not only have I fought the faith, not only have I finished, I have kept certain things. Fourthly, there are those who may not have such a great start, but their finish is well. You know, some of us are doubtful starters. Anybody remembers that? You know, people were not sure about you. <laughs> when you started, everybody said, you. Not you. Nobody ever gave you a chance. In fact, when you gave them your plan, they didn't even look at it. They just said, nah, you know. I remember when we, years ago, when we wanted to build this building, we went to somebody to try and get funding from them. And they said something I didn't know. Years ago, and now I know. <laughs> but they hit me with a phrase I had never heard before. They said, did you do a feasibility study? I said, fee who? Fees must fall. Fee who? <laughs> did you do a feasibility study? Have you, have you ever had to consult the dictionary to understand what you're being asked? Have you ever been there? And, 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 I mean, I, I didn't know. And, and this, this person didn't give us a chance at all. They told us all the reasons why it's not going to work. We didn't do a feasibility study. We don't have this. We don't have that. Sometimes that's how life starts. Jacob started like that. I mean, just the name Jacob, he's, it's, it means cheat, heel grabber. Jacob, that's how he started. But it's amazing in his encounter with God in his journey, his name gets changed from Jacob to Israel. Not only does his name change, his character changed. That even God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My goodness. But that's not how he started. What about a guy by the name of Jabez we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10? When he was born, he was born in pain. And note what it says there in 1 Chronicles 4.10. I love just what it says. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. My, I didn't start so well, God. Okay. I didn't start with people blessing me. I didn't start with people saying good things about me. But I'm asking you, no matter what label they've put on me, if you can bless me, indeed, and if you can enlarge my territory. 
oh that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. I've caused enough pain already, but I don't want to keep causing pain to move from here. It says, so God granted him his request. You may not have started well. You may have started, when you started, you came from broken home. No one gave you a chance. Dysfunctional home, started in poverty, no education, no anything. Nobody ever believed in whatever. But you know, there are people who started like that who end well. Can I hear an amen? And number five, there are those who finish well and finish strong like Paul. We've already talked about that. We therefore need to defy the urge to give up. We need to make sure that we finish what we start. Jesus modeled this. In John 19.4, he says, I have brought your glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me. Now, Jesus knew why he came. Watch this, Basalat. It's kind of amazing that for the three and a half years of ministry where Jesus did everything right, it was on the eve of his crucifixion that he was tempted to give up on his mission. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, just, on the, just a few, few hours before his crucifixion, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he got to a point where he couldn't follow through. He couldn't go on with his mission. And he even prayed a prayer and said, Oh, Father, if it was possible, I would ask you to let this cup pass from my mouth. But then he stops. He says, but nevertheless, oh, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, nevertheless, I'm going to push through pain and all. Nevertheless, I'm going to push on even if I don't feel like you are with me. Nevertheless, I'm going to push on even if I don't understand. There are days when you need to push on even if you don't feel like it. Can I hear an amen in this house? There are days when you need to stand up and do what's right even if you don't feel like it. Even if people forsake you. Even if people don't believe in you. Even if all your friends walk away from you. Even if your family turns their back on you. Even if your emotions tell you you're not going to do it. You've got to stand up and say, nevertheless, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. Because finishing and being a finisher needs a certain kind of commitment. Jesus, nevertheless, I'm going to finish. Look at Paul. Paul says, I know I'm going over there. I'm going to Jerusalem. I know that there are tribulations that await me, but I'm still going there anyhow. <laughs> He's defying the urge to finish. Look at Matthew chapter 15 about the Canaanite woman. I love this story. It's an amazing story. This Canaanite woman, remember, she's not an Israelite. She's not a Hebrew. And therefore, under this time, this dispensation of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus came to minister, as he said, to the lost sheep of Israel, only to the Hebrew people, to the Jews at that time, exclusively. He didn't come to minister to those who were not Jewish. But this woman who's Canaanite still comes to Jesus for help. Let's read this story. It's an amazing story. Let's have it up on the screen. Matthew 15 from verse 21, the New King James Version. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She needs help. Not verse 23. But Jesus didn't answer her. 
But he answered her not a word. Jesus didn't say anything. Yeah. Jesus didn't say anything. Didn't respond to the email. Didn't respond to the WhatsApp. <laughs> didn't respond to no, nothing. Just kept quiet. And you know, when I was reading this, thinking about it, I learned something, and I'm going to tell you in a short while. Not only did Jesus not answer her, the next thing he says, and the disciples urged Jesus, saying, send her away. Hey! That's a second blow. Number one, Jesus doesn't answer. Number two, the people who are with Christ are saying, send her away. And then note the next verse. And Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which is true. And then she came and worshipped him. If it was us these days, we would never. Oh, someone doesn't answer you, not me. Never. Not me. Never. You know, we are a generation that gets so easily offended. I've learned Bazalana through life. I'm not saying people should mistreat us. I'm not saying we should allow people to mistreat us. But there are times when you don't need to get so easily offended. Sometimes we wear our feelings on our sleeves and it drives us away from our destiny. Yeah. Yeah. This woman instead, she comes and worships. Jesus, first of all, didn't answer her. Secondly, the disciples tell him to send her away. Then she comes and worships him. Watch this. This is interesting. This is interesting. Now, after she worships, look what Jesus says. Jesus answered her and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How about two? This is getting worse. Number one, she's not answered. Number two, she's told to go away. Number three, she's called a dog. Imagine if it was us. We would have gone to the Human Rights Commission. Never. They're not going to call me a dog. Now, I'm not saying we should allow ourselves to be abused. Please, don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying, one of the things I've learned is that as I've, as I've gone through different things in my life, I've noted that there are times when I sat in sessions where I was very offended at the preacher. Very offended because it sounded like this guy was talking about me. And sometimes he stood there and looked at me. But after I left, if I was to be true to myself, I think God was using the brother to talk to me. And as I read the Bible, I noticed if you really look at the way Jesus interacted with his disciples, they had lots of opportunities to be offended. And I've realized that God doesn't try to be politically correct. Okay, I thank you for the amens. I scattered thunder showers of them. But some of you lost your job because you just a small and nothing. You just lost your cool. They didn't do much. It wasn't much. Listen, person. If someone says that you're a dog, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying if. I don't want to get sued here. If someone says you're a dog, I mean Inja. Oof, oof. If someone says I'm a dog, for instance. Okay. All right. Let me ask you a question. What effect does it have on who I am? No, 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 no. Let's talk now. Don't, don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. What effect does it have? I mean, how, how does it change who I am? I mean, how, how does it affect? Huh? 
I mean, he's, he's not saying no, he's not saying dog, dog, like we are here. Yeah, no, no. It's not that kind of dog. No, no, no. It's not like, he, hey, dog, you know, we hear me and you, dog. No, it's not that kind of dog. It's the woof, woof kind of dog. It says dog. And you'll find out in life there are people who may not call you dog, but they may treat you like one. And you allow yourself to be taken away from your destiny, from your mission. Because somebody thinks you're a dog. Let me ask you a question. If they think you're a dog, how does it change you? This woman is called a dog. Note what she does. Hey, I, I like the way you're quiet. I, uh, she, I can feel a pill dropping. can hear one dropping. Verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. I'm a dog. Now, now remember, in this culture, it's, it's not a swear word. But it's like you are not an Israelite when they say dog. Say, so, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm a dog, in short. But, but even the little dogs <laughs> eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Oh, come on, give this lady a hand. I love her. I just love her. She, she is determined. She is determined to get what she came for. Verse 28. And Jesus answered and said, oh, woman. Great it is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Somebody give the Lord a shout. Oh. So in order to be a finisher, you must make up your mind that no matter what obstacles are in your way, you are determined to finish. Unfortunately, not many of us finish. Let me show you a picture. You know, we're playing against England right now. I don't know what the score is, but the last time I think we were up, we were doing something. See that guy with the bat? Do you know what that kind of shot is called? You know what that's called? In the first service, they knew. No, I know it's cricket. I know. I know it's cricket. I know. You see that guy posing with a bat at his hand? You know what that kind of shot is called? It's a follow through. Follow through. His pose shows that when, when he was hitting the ball, he didn't swing and stop, but he, he, he went all the way. Now, in cricket, if you want to get a six, you can only get a six if you do that. Most of the time, of course. Because it is, the, it is the, the follow through that determines the trajectory of your ball. If you don't follow through, then you're not going to get a six. You may get a four. Maybe a two. Maybe one. Maybe a duck. And this is what life is about. Not many people have follow through. And it's interesting that in several other sports like tennis, golf, it's in how you swing, how you follow through that affects the shot that you play. Just like the game of life. So many people start, they don't do that. They don't follow through. Tell your neighbor, you need to follow through. <laughs> Say it again, you need to follow through. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes we get tired, allow ourselves to slack on things that we started. We slack on good disciplines. We stop praying. We stop reading God's word. We stop living right. We stop fellowshipping with Christians. 
inconsistency deprives our aeroplane that's already flying and cruising. Once you become inconsistent, it's like cutting off the fuel supply to your aeroplane that's in midair. And therefore, we need to develop, follow through, and be consistent. But you know what we found out? We're talking about this, my bishop, that, you know, consistency, you know, to stay on top in life, (laughs) because our life has so many areas that need attention. It's not easy at all. Now imagine, I mean, you develop the discipline to pray regularly, right? I mean, that's not easy. And to read the Bible regularly. So sometimes you read the Bible, but you realize you neglect the praying. So you go back to the praying, then you realize the reading of the Bible. So, and then you got this one right, but then you realize your financial life is out of order. So you try to get your financial life in order, but then you realize your health is not in order. You must go to the gym. You try to go to the gym, then you realize you're not attending to your family. So you try to attend to your family, then you are missing your deadlines. You know, and, and, and anybody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so the reality is, if you're going to stay on top in life, you have to be a high-caliber person who has a great discipline. We may not score 10 out of 10 in every area all the time. It's understood. But at least stay on top most of the time. But some of us were scoring zero on everything. Look at your neighbor and say, that was for me. <laughs> <laughs> And so how do we become a finisher? Let me give you some important things here. And this will include those who are already making it and those maybe things didn't work out so well. So I'll just put all the points together. The first thing is this. Identify what is it that you need to stop doing. You know, there are certain things that are getting in your way and they're preventing you from achieving your goals. You saw it this year. You realize when you started associating with that person and started going to that place, when you stopped going there, started praying, stopped reading this, it affected you. So, you need to ask yourself that question. What actions am I taking now that are moving me away from my goal and keeping me stalled? You know what it is to stall when your when car, you know, you know, the, the cars that uh, are not automatic cars, you know, you have to get used to using the pedals, the accelerator and the clutch. You know, how many of you remember when you still learned how to drive? You remember those days? Yeah, cars not automatic. It's not easy to balance the two. More so if you're driving down some of our busy roads, and here you are, you're a learner driver. You have an instructor here teaching you K53. Anybody knows? They're saying, look left, look right, look left again. And you're still doing the left and the right. Whilst you're about to move, a taxi comes on and blocks you this side. And a Padco bus comes in the other side. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? And the traffic light goes green. Right? And you try to move. Right? And all of a sudden, you release the clutch too quickly in your car, and then you break. You know? You stall all the way. You see, you, you are perspiring and everything. Anybody, anybody remembers those days? Oh, yeah. But the, the reality is, in life, we do stall sometimes. Yeah. But identify those things that cause you to stall. Number two, identify what is it that you need to continue doing. There are certain things you did well this year. And they produce good results for you. Please don't stop. Don't fix it if it's not broken. Please. If it's working and it's producing good results. As long as it hasn't timed out or it's it's not in context, but just keep doing it. Number three. What is it that identify what is it that you need to start doing? 
In other words, what is the one thing that if you were to add to your goals or your vision, it would make an impact towards your goal? Remember, it's, we, we will move on in life in small, manageable steps. So it's smaller than the things that you do consistently that move you forward. I like what John Maxwell says when he says, you know, success is not an event. You know, and he used a very great example, and I know several of you have written, you'll be graduating soon, congratulations. And on that day when they'll be conferring whatever it is on you, they will say to you, welcome. Well, they'll say, well done for you. We congratulate you for your success. But the truth is this, ne? on that day, that's not the day you became successful. That's the truth. You became successful that day when you enrolled. That's when you became successful. You became successful that day when you started studying, burning the midnight oil. That, 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 that's a path. On the day when, when we will be celebrating, we are just recognizing your journey. Because success is not an event. It's a journey. Sad thing is many people are not careful about what they do in their daily agenda. And when you look at what they do on a daily basis, you realize they will never get to where they are trying to go. But they believe they'll get there. Look at the neighbor and say, Chwada. <laughs> ah, yeah. Number four. Be selective on what you unbuck on. In other words, focus on your assignment. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Focus on your assignment. Please don't, don't be looking over the fence to the, what your neighbor is doing. How many of you remember that song here, Yvonne Chaka Chaka? We makoti to sing it to your neighbor there. We makoti. The essence of the song says, stop concerning yourself with other people's issues. Yeah. Embark on and be focused on what God wants you to do. See, when you start a project, especially large ones, that, that, that aligns up with the will of God, you need to see it through. So focus on what God wants you to do. Remember, you are you. You are not the other person. We are not equally gifted. We are not at the same stage in life. We are not equally resourced. So be real. For where you are, you are doing well. Yeah. We can always believe God to go further. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember when I bought my first car. I was so glad. Hey. My first car. Oh. Because prior to that, I had been given cars. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not, leaving a, a, I'm not looking at the gift was in the mouth, but the cars I was given are what two. <laughs> I mean, the first car I was given, honestly, I think that person didn't hear well from the Lord. <laughs> now I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I mean, this is way back in the 80s. How many of you remember the cult Galant? I remember my age group. You remember the cult Galant? That was a hot car. If you drove the cult Galant, you were it. So he came to me. You know, I was in Bible school. He came to me and said, God spoke to him for him to give me his cult. I go, wow, God. Hey, and I was praying for a car. I was believing God for a car. Really? I was, I was, I was believing God for a car. So 
he, he, he had a, a, a jewelry shop. So I went down to downtown city Johannesburg. And you remember those days? If you, if you, if you had a shop that had an underground parking, you were in the top. Those days, eh, when underground parking was not the norm. So when I went to him, he said, okay, it's parked in the underground. I said, my God, Galant, it's even in the underground. Oh, yeah, Jesus. And my faith works. <laughs> so as we got into the garage and underground parking, I saw all the cars parked there. Several called Galants. So we come into the parking lot, we're walking, and I'm looking at the called Galants. I'm already choosing which, which one, you know, I'm already... <laughs> I'm already trying to second guess which of those cold galants is mine. And we walked past all the cold galants. All of them. And there was this car in the corner there. Uh, <laughs> I tell you that car. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. I have never seen such an ugly car in my life. I, I tell you. I mean, and, and as we're walking there, I'm going in my heart. I, I'm hoping that is, I'm hoping maybe there's another floor. Anybody knows that? <laughs> but I can see there's a wall there. There's no way out. It's packed right there. How many of you know a cult 1100? I, I wouldn't blame you if you don't know it. It's such a dinosaur of a car. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. It's a man. Guys, it's, it's, when it's packed, you don't know when it moves, if it's moving, you don't know if it's reversing. Or is, I mean, really, I don't know. I don't know why they designed that car. It has a, it's a very small car. You have to squeeze into it. But the steering wheel is the size of the steering wheel of a bus. It's big. You cannot look through. Oh! This guy had had this car for years and he had left. I only had afterwards. He had parked it in his yard for more than 10 or 15 years. Serious. It had been eaten out by rust and rats and when God spoke to him <laughs> hey this brother ah, he went to resurrect this old dinosaur he only took it in to have the brakes done I mean the car huh? so finally we got to the car <laughs> and I'm supposed to say thank you <laughs> I told you man I don't uh, <laughs> Yeah, anyhow, I, I did drive the car out of the... I did say thank you, by the way. It wasn't a genuine one. <laughs> and I only heard years later from my congregants, uh, I was still a young pastor, some of the young, young people in my congregants, you know, I would go and visit them. There was one I would go and visit them. And, and I'd, as I turned the corner, I'd see they're all there. The, the, I can see them all there. But when I got to where they were, nobody was there. And I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Years later, they told me the story. When they gathered up in Afghanistan, they said, when we saw you coming with that car, we were so embarrassed. We didn't want to be associated with you at all. But so is life. Can I hear an amen, Bazaar? Yeah. But you know, bit by bit, we get there. So wherever you are, wherever your start is, Stand there. Yeah. Also figure now where you'll get there one day. Hallelujah. Stand there. Own up. Own up. Own up to your reality. That was my reality. Yeah, yeah. That was my reality. They ran away. I was driving the car. My mother loved that car. And it was the first car at my home. And she wanted me to take her everywhere. And guys, look, I was young. Eh? I wanted the girls to like me. But that car, <laughs> it was not working in my favor at all. 
Anyhow, that's your reality. Amen. So wherever you are, just own up to it. Number five. Number four, we did it. It's number five. Number five. Assess correctly what resources are needed for you to get to your goals. What I mean by that is sometimes we start out on a mission to achieve certain things, but we are not realistic about if we are able to achieve what we say we're going to achieve. Let me give you an example. If you're not training at all, you're not physically involved, you're not healthy as you should be, you're not running at all, for you to tell us that uh, uh, two months from now you're going to be involved in the triathlon, you, you, know, you know what? It doesn't matter how much you pray, it's not going to happen. You understand me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you may, you may, we can pour oil on you. We can give you rats. No, we don't give rats in this church, remember? Ne? But we can give you rats and grass, and we don't give any grass. We can prophesy over you. We can lay hands on you until all your hair falls off your head. It's not going to happen. And I think we as faith people, we should know the difference between faith, foolishness, and presumption. Faith doesn't mean... There are certain laws that you violate. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean now you get on top of the, a tall building, 30 stories up, and you're going to jump off and you're going to believe God that you're not going to... that you're going to land in peace. You're going to land in pieces, not in peace. You, know, you don't do that. But sometimes this is what happens with people saying, I'm praying and I'm believing God. But there are certain practical things. See? That you need to do. I mean, if you want to do well in terms of your studies, enroll. Hey, we're not going to confess something by the Holy Ghost and say, we bless you. You are a doctor of divinity. From where? <laughs> From where? You need to study. Um, you know, years ago, I, I used to have this discussion all the time with the pastors. They recommended one guy who was a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, who is a mechanic, I had my own mechanic, but they recommended this one. I said, is it good? They said, oh, he's a Christian. He speaks in tongues. I said, wow, my car will be in safe hands. <laughs> my car was more sick after it came from this Christian mechanic than it was when it came from the other guy who, who doesn't talk about God at all. It's not a matter of being born again. It's a matter of skill. So be realistic. Assess correctly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number six, stop being a perfectionist. What I mean by that is don't focus on failing. Because if you focus on failing, you'll never start. If you overanalyze things. Now, we're not saying we shouldn't do a feasibility study, by the way. Do it. We're not saying you shouldn't be realistic or do research. Do it. But don't get to a point where you're so analyzed to a point that you're paralyzed. Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. The reality is there are times when you face up to certain projects, you will feel fear in your heart. And we must admit to that. There are times when you need to do something you feel afraid. Serious. I don't ever remember, now you may not believe this, I know you are all going to say, ah, so I'm just telling you ahead of time. I don't ever remember any day where I've ever stood up to speak or preach where I wasn't afraid. 
Yeah, they, they said the other side. See, I told you. You don't believe that. But, but I, I'm telling you. It, it happens to me all the time. You know, your heart starts having palpitations. You start sweating or yawning. You feel like God can intervene and say, don't preach my son. <laughs> but you know what I've learned? That fear only lasts just a few minutes. You've got to face up to your fear. Why? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Fear is just a thing of the senses. It's your mind and all kinds of things playing up on you. It's not who you are. You are much more than your fear in the name of Jesus. Don't be afraid to enroll and go to university. Don't be afraid to study. Don't be afraid to get married. Don't be afraid to start a family. Don't be afraid to start your own business. Don't be afraid. Just, just go for it. Even if you are afraid, go for it anyhow. Most athletes, if you talk to them about being nervous, they'll tell you we're always nervous. But they say, but we've learned how to use our nerves. As a big English house, house windy, as an impetus. I don't even know what that means. We've learned to use our nerves as a, as a way to, to charge ourselves. Because when, when, when you are afraid and when you, when you are afraid of what you're going to do, it makes you prepare more. You don't take for granted what you're going to go into. Are you there, Basel? And I see, I, I've written, because, because I don't like standing in front of people and speaking, my sermon is all written out. Everything I'm saying is written, most of it is written out. It's almost 90, 90% of what I'm saying, I'm reading. You may not know, but I'm reading. Just in case I become afraid, I just read. So you won't know. I just say, Amen, and I read, and Amen, and I read. <laughs> no problem. Oh, come on, somebody give the Lord a head. Shababal. Yeah. Face your fears. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Stop analyzing too much. You'll never start. If you can focus on the fear, you will never start. If you can focus on failure, you'll never start. If you can focus on people's opinions, you'll never start. If you, sometimes even if you can focus on what the experts say, because sometimes the experts get it wrong. Some of us, the experts didn't give us a chance when it came to church. Oh, are you there, Barcelona? If God has spoken to you about it, and if the Holy Spirit is impressing it on your hearts, and if people who are helping you to grow, they are telling you and they are giving you a chance, get out of there and give it your best shot. At least if you fail, fail trying. If you fail, fail doing something. Yeah. Do something. And number seven, commit to it. Once you start, get committed. Whatever you've planned to do, hold yourself accountable to your word. Yeah. Commit to it. Don't allow yourself to skip by and come with excuses and explanations. Why do we explain in this country? There's always explanations. You know, we're talking to somebody who's working in some other place somewhere, somehow, and it's a true story. And he said, one of the best things some of these people do, they know how to, to put so many words in their documents. You know, these big bombastic words, when they speak. You know, when you're listening, you understand. But after they're done, when you try to find out what were they saying, you don't know what they said. Anybody knows what they You can hear what they're talking, and you are agreeing. Afterwards, you say, that, but this brother didn't say anything. So there's a way people know how to maneuver out of Commit to whatever you do. And in conclusion, I love this one. Remember that God will always be by your side. Yeah. 
Oh, come on. If you're going to clap, give the Lord a, a better clap than that. I love this one. Paul talks about his journey as one who ran the race and finished his course. And he says, there was one time when I, I had a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> the messenger of the devil who was sent to buffet me. It was bad. And he says, I got into that place where I, I, I went to God and I said, God, will you remove this thorn in the flesh? Because sometimes we want God to just remove the obstacles. Will you, will you get rid of this messenger of the devil? And all God said, he didn't, God didn't say much. He just said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Translated, stay on, bro. You'll make it. I'm there. I'm aware. Stay on. Paul says three times, three times, three times. I asked God. And every three times, every time, God said, my grace is sufficient. And then Paul steps back and says, and you know what I've learned? I've learned that when I'm weak, <laughs> then I'm strong. One translation says, I've learned that when I'm weak, the power of God is greatest on me. He says, therefore, I will glory in my tribulations. Therefore, when trouble comes, when obstacles are there, when I feel like giving up, when, when it looks like it's not going to work, that's the time I'm going to put on my best, best performance. Because I've learned that when I'm on the edge of giving up, just when I think I'm not going to go to the other side, that's a good sign that God is upon my life. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's with you even if it might not feel like it. It might not look like it. It might not sound like it. Because sometimes when you pray, you wonder, you wonder God, where are you? How come? I, why don't you give me a vision? Why don't you give me a prophecy? Why doesn't the bishop call me out? God says, chill. I'm aware of you. Let me conclude, Bazalan. I've told you this and I'll tell you again. I get you know, when you're 10, 50, you have a right to tell your story more than once. And I'm more than 50 now. And you are listening. You have a right to listen to it like you've never heard it before. <laughs> I was talking with... Uh, Pastor Don about this, Don Phillips, and I was, and I was telling him, and I, and I just thought this was good. During the TRC days, we went, and on a chartered flight, one of the people uh, said they'll allow us to use it. We didn't, couldn't afford it anyhow. He, he offered. Because we were supposed to go there through the IFCC, International Federation of Christian Churches, to go and make a presentation at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It was in East London. Because they had scheduled that the religious bodies need to go there. So we flew there. And, you know, they schedule you that you're going to come in at this time. And for some reason, things were delaying that day. All right. Such that by the time we got to appear before the commission, it was really running late. So we made our presentation and finally flew back to Johannesburg. And we had flown out of Lanseria then when it was still a very small airport. Not like right now. Wasn't, didn't have all the 
equipment that were there at the OR Tambo, then called John Smart's Airport. So as we, as we were approaching Johannesburg, you know, the pilot comes on and says, uh, 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 we are going in for a landing. We should be landing in 15 minutes' time. You know the usual, yeah? Seats up, seat belts on. You know, we know. So 30 minutes later, we are still airborne. And, and, and we note now we are in this thick cloud. It's all dark around us. Really dark. So, so I was, we were with Pastor Ray at the time, and Pastor Ray asked the pilot, is everything okay? <laughs> he responds, says, no, everything's fine, Pastor Ray. We just have a technical problem. You know when they say that, right? <laughs> you know what that means. That's a loaded statement. So, so we fly on and 45 minutes later, we're still airborne. And Pastor Ray says, what's the technical problem? <laughs> Answers back, says, Lanceria uh, uh, <laughs> uh, is a very small airport. People knock off here at 6 o'clock. Now, this is 9 o'clock in the evening. So technically, we don't have anybody in the control tower. There's no one to bring us in to land the plane. Hmm. It went, oh, quiet. <laughs> so, and this guy should have handled this better. So we fly, an hour and 15 minutes later comes on and says, uh, mm, they've picked us up on radar at John Smart's airport, or Tambo. So they will bring us in. Okay, here we sit. It's all dark. Small plane, it doesn't have all this complicated equipment. There's enough, of course. Here we go, we're coming through the clouds. It's all bumping. Mm -hmm. You're praying in tongues, Jesus. <laughs> ah. Jesus! Baba! Siabonga! Finally, it looked like forever we break through the cloud. As we break through the cloud, not too far from there, we can see the landing strip. Cloud was so low. And we land finally. So we all glad. Pilot comes on, he says, no, no, no. All this time as we were flying around, they could see us on the radar at John Smart's airport. Even if everything was cloudy around us, they were aware of our location. <laughs> oh, I'm here to tell somebody, even if you don't know where you are, God is aware of your location. And he says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. If you will listen to my instructions, you will land safely. And if you are in that space today and you don't know what's going on around you, it looks like everything is falling apart. There's somebody who knows exactly where you are. His name is Jehovah God. He's got you on his radar. As long as you can keep contact with the control tower called heaven. As long as you can keep your ear open to the control tower called heaven. God's going to bring you in through the clouds, through the storms, through the rain, through the trouble, through the criticism, through the, all the things you're going through. You're going to land safely because God has got you in his hand. Can you give him a hand of praise because he's got you? He's got you. He's got you in his hands. He's got you in his hands. His eyes is upon the sparrow. And he watches over you. He will not slumber. He will not sleep. 
He's aware of exactly where you are because God is committed to the plans he has given to you in your life. He says, I know the plans that I have for you and that God's going to bring you in safely. Father, we are grateful. Just raise your hands and just thank him for his word. We are grateful. We are grateful that you are aware of us. We are grateful. We are grateful that even if the world may seem like it's an unfair place, and when everything looks like it's falling apart, God, you are there. Hallelujah. Pray and talk to him and thank him and thank him and thank him and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Shall we all stand on our feet? I just want to take time to pray with you today. Just stand on your feet. Raise your hands if you don't mind to God. Father, I pray that you'll comfort those who mourn. You'll strengthen those who feel like giving up. I pray that you will minister to those who are on the verge of turning back. I pray that your love and your grace will envelope every one of them in the name that's above every name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just worship him in a while. Jesus Thank you Lord Jesus Thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. Jesus. Please remain standing. Just remain standing, please. You, you can put your hands down. Just remain standing. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. I just want to pray. There could be people in this place you've come. And as you've been listening to God's word, you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ as yet for him to be the saviour and the Lord of your life. Even those of you in Port Elizabeth who are watching could be in the service now and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life. As you've been listening to God's word, you realize God can give you a new start. God is a loving God who forgives sin, washes them away, makes us brand new and gives us a new start. Our heads bowed, please. Our eyes closed. If you are here and you say, Please pray for me. My life is not right before God. I want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand, please, right where you are? Give me a different song. Different song. Just raise your hand all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Thank you so much. That's the kind of God He is. He gives us a new start brand new start. Thank you for those who've raised your hands. May I ask all those of you who raised your hands, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Would you please come from where you are standing? Don't leave any of your belongings behind, please. Take all your belongings in your hands. Just walk to the front. I just want to pray with you. Just come. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. 
Give them a big hand. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just face me. That's right. Just come. Let's walk to the front. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Give them a big hand as they walk. Come on.